Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, this is Mallory Boggs, one of the producers for Retire Sooner. This week we're trying something new. Since 2009, Wes has had a live weekly radio call-in show on WSB here in Atlanta, Georgia. We're bringing you a few of the questions from people who are trying to retire sooner. These are people who are probably just like you. They're listening to the radio show instead of on their podcast, but they're joining us every week and trying to learn a little bit more about what it's going to take for them to exit the workforce or to spend more time with grandkids or to travel and see the world. Let's visit a few of those questions. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Eric on the line from coming. What's going on, man? How can we help? Well, I uh, always enjoy your show, and uh, you give out good advice. Well, God bless you. How can I help you? So I'm 70 years old, and I've got right around $3 million that I've accumulated. All right, I like that. Not bad for a high school guy, right? Yeah, man. So I've been running 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds forever. And at this point, I'm wondering, is it time to really go more conservative and increase the bonds and decrease the stocks? Yeah, the so you are so you're you're 70 you said? Yep. And have you been uh to get to where you are did you make a ton of money uh or did you save a little bit every single year for all these years? How would you get there, Eric? Well, I got out of give, the give Navy give the and... young folks here a, a a window into what it what it takes to do that. <laughs> okay, I got out of the Navy in 1973. And I had a, an uncle, my mother's uncle, um, who uh, was a, an immigrant and had probably about a fifth grade education. But back then he was a millionaire and he made it in the stock market by, by buying stocks and investing. So that kind of spurred me. So it was some money I had. I bought my first stock in 73, which was, back then was no easy thing to do because you had to go through a broker and it was expensive. Yeah, they didn't have the Robin, and, they didn't have the Robin Hood app in 1973. No, no. So um, I did that. And uh, then I was able to reinvest dividends. And then they started drip programs and I got into them. And uh, I I just bought quality stocks that paid a dividend and just, you know, through splits and what have you. uh, And then I did the same thing in my 401k when my company started offering that. And that's how I got here. So the by the way, I, I I detect a an accent, and I don't know if it's a Midwestern. I, I for some reason I can't not try to identify where you're from with caller voices. For some reason, it just I can't not do it. I'm sorry. Where are, I'm from New York. Oh, New York. Is it more central up, New York? Central New York. That's right. That's a fascinating nuance of of your uh, of your. Um, of your intonation, which is is cool and unique, and uh, your accent, we love. So, 
the question you had, and you've been investing, I think the first part, I think your question was, hey, do I change my allocation? Really, the question was kind of, do I get more conservative? You've been about 60% stocks for the better, let's call it the last five, 10 years. And now yep. as you're getting into retirement at age 70 plus, you're wondering, hey, do I scale that back? Do I go to 50% stocks, go down to 40% stocks? And I would suspect the other side of that ledger to your to your question is, do I get more conservative? Meaning what? Would you go into bonds or is that, or are you thinking about other things like gold or other things? Or what was your other side of the allocation that you were thinking? Probably, uh, I mean, I'm in bonds now. I'm with, I'm with a major company because I don't want to do the day-to-day of investing anymore in it. So I'm in a, with a low cost, if you know what I mean, large company. Sure. And so the stocks are all broken down, you know, large cap, mid cap, and so on. And the same thing with bonds. There's a variety of different vehicles of the bonds. So at 60-40, I'm wondering if maybe 50-50 or a reverse of the 60-40 is more what I should be doing for capital preservation. And I think inflation is going to be an issue coming up. So the if you think about this, you made, you made a comment before we went to break that you've been really investing since the early 1970s. And you, you learned from your father or grandfather that started buying stocks really early. And then you started to do that back when it was tough to do in the early 70s yeah. to buy 100 shares of Coca-Cola. I mean, it would be it was like 500 bucks, the, the commission to do so. Right. And yes. times yeah. have changed. That went to you know, 250, and then it went to 100. And then Charles Schwab came out and said, hey, we're going to do trades for 49 bucks. And then they <laughs> and then it just kept going lower and lower and lower. And there was a time when early in my investment career, call it in the 1990s, the $50, $50 for a trade seemed ridiculously inexpensive. And then, as you, as we all know, it, it went to zero. So yeah. trading, really, there is no cost to trade anymore. I, I, there may be some places where you still get charged commission. I don't know of any. All the big custodians that I know of, the Fidelities, the Schwabs of the world, those are those trades are zero. Now, sometimes you'll pay a little bit of a fee to buy a mutual fund, but if you're buying an ETF or a stock or anything the that let's call it 95% of the investment universe today is now inexpensive to at least to access. And that's I think it's a wonderful thing that's happened. So it's easier to invest today than it was back to your point in the 1970s. And there's a lot of other places to do it, but what got you here and this was my point before we went to break is that You've been, we talk about saving, saving, saving. And for a younger generation, if you're in your 20s, if you start today and kind of do anything, as long as you do the savings part plus, and this is the key here, the the, the other part of the recipe to make this all work is to call it the yeast in the bread. You can't have bread unless you have the yeast, right? There will be no rise unless you invest it. Unless you access the capital markets, unless you are an equity investor in the United States or around the world, let's call it our bias continues to be the United States. But that's how Eric on the line here has really amassed all this money. It's not because of the savings per se, it's because the savings in addition to having a compound to grow over all these years. Because if we know, if you go back to the 1970s until today, equities or the United States stocks have averaged actually well over 10% per year. Over 10% per year. And if you get 10% per year, your money doubles every seven years. So 100,000 
or 50,000 turns to 100, and then 100 to 200, and then 200 to 4, and then 4 now to 8. On your fourth double, almost no matter what you start with, it's going to be a lot of money. So my point here for you, Eric, and let's get back, let's get to your question. Your thought is to scale this back just because of your age and your, I think, let me ask, let me ask you this question. The, if you're 70, God willing, you have another 20 years. Who knows? It could be 10, could be 30. Let's say you get to 100. I think my question is, does that generate enough income for you every single month or year? Is your, are your income needs, needs totally met? Or do you ever have to take anything from the portfolio? Well, I do take some. Uh, I also have a pension from back from a company that you know used to do pensions. And I have my Social Security and I have a small uh, uh, VA disability. From, so from the Navy, because you were in the Navy, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've got a pretty good uh, stool there, if you will, the legs of a stool. But I also do another thing is that I live below my means. Well, my question then is, though, do you, are you, what percentage per year do you have to pull out of the portfolio is my question. I think I'm only pulling out now about one and three quarters and maybe 2%. So you're not even taking out any, I mean, the, the dividends alone for you are generating more than that. So, yeah. you know, here, here's my thought. I think you could go a couple different ways here. And do you have kids, grandkids? Is there a bunch of family after you or no? No, just, well, just grand, some grandkids. Some grandkids. The, here's my thought is that it, from what you're telling me, and the answer is going to be different for everybody. Eric, and let me ask you one more question before I answer this. If I were to sure. f say, look, black or white, and investing is the opposite of that. It's very much gray. But if I were to ask you this question, you had to choose. If I said, Eric, you have to either be 100% in equities, 100% stock market, or 100% in bonds for the next 20 years. And I said, you got to pick. Which one would you pick, do you think? Oh, that's tough. <laughs> mm. I, by the way, by the way, I have never asked anybody this before, and I've never even thought of this question before until, for some reason, our conversation this morning. I've never asked anybody, what would you do if you had to make the choice? Anybody listening, by the way, if you're in the car, running, walking, uh, if you, if if somebody said, look, you you have only have you you get to you have to make this choice. Black or white, you have to do 100%. Whatever money you have, you have 50,000, you have a million, you have 10 million, you have 100 million. Doesn't matter. What would it be? Would you be 100% in, let's call it, and I'll make it a little easier for you, dividend paying equities versus 100% in high quality corporate bonds? Or let's just make it even easier. High quality government treasuries. And by the way, treasuries today pay about 1%. Yeah, I would take the stocks. I think that, and that's a really important answer, because right now, United States stocks, even even the general market, the the yield on the S and P five hundred is is going to be as much, or actually even a little bit more, than the yield on the ten year Treasury. Not to mention, if you were to actually look for dividend paying stocks, that so many of those that we've talked about here on even a, d a dividend ETF that's full of dividend paying companies is going to be in the two and a half range. And many, many companies in the S&P 500 are going to pay three, three and a half, four. Healthcare companies, utility companies, banks, financials. So if you could get three percent, three and a half percent in dividend yield 
from, let's say, a group of companies. So you're not taking on a ton of, you're not taking on single stock risk. Companies that are going to probably be here in 20 and 30 years or some form, right? They may change their name. They may merge with a couple other companies. But if you were to make that, if you were forced to make that choice, I would, I would choose the same thing. Even if I were a conservative investor, I would, I would have to choose the, le- the, the stock option, the option of owning stocks. And I think I use that example to illustrate that, first of all, stocks got you here, and this is why you're here. Second of all, there's no reason that stocks don't continue to do that same job relative to fixed income or bonds over the next 20 years. Now, I'm not saying stocks are going to average 12% a year over the next 20. They very well could, but I have a I have a very strong feeling that they may be our best protection over time against inflation. If bonds are paying one and inflation goes to three, that means bonds now are negative 2% real on your money. So as long as you're careful about investing in the stocks that you're investing in, to, in my opinion, I don't know if I'd get much more conservative than you are today. Here's the okay. other thing is that if you're you're 60% in equities today, even if your portfolio if the, the market goes down by 25 or 30%, you're still taking less out of the portfolio than the dividends are even paying you. And if the dividend and by the way, even through the the crisis that we just went through, one of the worst economies and markets that we've seen in a in in a generation with COVID and the shutdown of the United States economy, over 90% of companies, something like 95% of companies continued to pay a dividend and many actually raised. So we're in a world, Eric, where companies are very good at continuing to pay steady dividends and finding a way to make money. And to me, over time, maybe not in the next six months or a year, that is to me the, the, uh, uh, the hedge that we want. And investing got you to where you're going to be, where you are today. And I think it gets you the next several decades. So if I were you, after this is a long conversation for Sunday morning radio, (laughs) but very instructive, I think, to our audience, is that I I don't know if I would get much more conservative at at this point. You already have a balance. If it were me, I'd probably stay right where you are. And there's even a case to be made that you increase that percentage of equities. I'm not going to go there just yet. But I think that, I think our conversation hopefully answers your question. Eric, thank you for your call, my friend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Beth in Lawrenceville, welcome to Money Matters. What's going on? How can I help? Well, hey, Wes, how are you? Pretty good. Well, let me ask you, I know this is not really, this is not an awful problem, but let's just say we have a loan. I love good, Beth, I um, love good problems. Well, yeah, this is a good problem. We have a loan that we took out about five years ago, and we're still paying on it, and, um, we, my husband was very blessed and got a great bonus this year. So we were thinking, um, wanted your opinion. We were thinking, of course, a quarter of it will go to the government. And then we thought about taking half of it and putting it toward the loan. And then the other quarter we would put 
um, just, you know, in a savings account or we could reinvest it. Not really sure because we do have kids in college, but luckily they're doing very well. And um, I don't know. What do you think? A couple of things. One, the the loan you guys took out, what kind of loan? Is it? Are you talking about a mortgage or a personal loan? It was more of a, well, we'd already paid off our mortgage, but my husband wanted to start another company. God love him. And um, so he took out, it's a variable loan, but it was kind of a home, I'm not exactly sure. Look at me. I don't really know very, but I just know it has a variable rate. And, and, what, and by the way, was it, is it tied back to the house? Does it have anything to do with the house or no? It does, I believe. Look at me. I, I should know these things, but I don't. Well, it makes sense that it would. It really does because it, it is. It's a. It's it's a lot more common to have something tied back to the equity of a house or the equity of a of a stock portfolio. And if it seems like it's a super low interest rate or any even a low interest rate, it probably is collateralized by something. And it's just a lot. Particularly if you're telling me your house has already paid was paid off then that's mm-hmm. usually the cheapest, easiest way to access new funds is to have something tied back to the house or tied back to a portfolio. There, I will say I've seen a lot more portfolio loans, meaning that if you've got $500,000 in, in a brokerage account at any of any big brokerage company, whether it's a big Wall Street firm or a Fidelity or Schwab, they'll, in a heartbeat, give you a... a a well, they they call it a pledge asset line or a portfolio loan where they'll say, hey, you've got five hundred thousand dollars. We'll give you two hundred fifty tomorrow. Very quick, very very inexpensive, and it floats to it, it might float towards LIBOR or some other rate, but it's usually really really low. So it's probably collateralized by something. Okay, now the second thing is that because of that, it sounds like it's a pretty low interest rate. Beth, yeah, is that right? Correct. So it's not like a it's not like a ten percent a year loan like a like a it's not a, a really high interest type loan. Correct. It would probably be around. I would say it it it's variable. So I think it's around two percent right now. Oh, okay. So it's a de- it's definitely a collateralized loan, probably on the house or a portfolio, one of the two, and and it's great. That's great because it means it's really a low cost. It's very very. It's basically costing you not much more than inflation. So that you Correct. should be earning on those assets, particularly in a business, should be earning at least as much as, as you're paying in interest, and you're probably fine to continue to do that. However, as you get closer to retirement, even if it makes all the sense in the world to have some debt because your other assets are growing faster, your happy retiree formula is to not have any debt going into retirement. And you guys have kids in college. About when, how old are y'all, and when do you think that you would maybe stop working? How many years out is that? Maybe in another 10 to 15 years. So you got a long way to go. Okay, so you're not even in that. You're not retiring tomorrow. You've got. No. Oh, you, absolutely not. Yeah, you got a ways to go. So I would say that my. When you get to, let's just call it 65 for retirement, that's your goal of having no more big debt. That's the, that's the year when, or before that, or around that same time, or maybe a little after. The happy retiree formula is very much just to ha- not have the burden of the mortgage, period. And mm-hmm. that is a goal that I, I can tell you, it's a really important planning goal. If you, if you want to glide into retirement with low pressure and, and, and again, obviously I write a lot of, I do a lot of research on 
the, the relationship between money and happiness. And one of the things I've found over the years is that getting rid of the biggest debt, which is the mortgage, getting rid of that by the time you retire is, is hugely important for a number of reasons, well, well beyond the financial piece of the equation. And in your case here, you're, you're borrowing to start another business because you guys have a, a lot of runway here. So I guess the question would be, if you've got the one boat, caveat, yeah, though, one caveat. I'm sorry, one caveat is that we are no longer doing that other business. So wait, you borrowed the so, money for the business, and then the business is is done. Yes. So it didn't work out. Correct. All right, and then and you said the kids are in college, and they're and they're what are they on scholarship or something? Yes. Oh wow, I like yes. that. Yeah, and then we have one more, and he'll be on scholarship as well. The whole so family. Pretty much, yep, yep. There's one that has a little, uh, not as the, um, he has academic talents. The other ones have other talents. So, so the, are these athletes? Could be. Wow, so, that's awesome. Okay. So it, it is It is awesome. I will. I say we're very blessed. That is a blessing. I, I'm just hoping my kids go to college, period. The Let alone, well, get, and, let alone get paid yeah. to go to college. Uh, so, well, and, and now they're going to have to go to graduate school, like, you know, we're thinking about law school for one of them. So, I mean, that will be an expense, but I had some money saved back from like 20 years ago. So I will, you know, use that for him. Well, the other part of why I think that's important to talk about the kids is the kids are all right. The kids are going to be all right no matter what, because A, they're, they have, have gotten a lot of their education paid for, the one that is going is probably going to be more academic and get paid for. And long in the long run, another piece of the happy retiree formula here is that the kids get out of the house and they're on their own and your kids will. So really, this goes back to you and your husband, Beth. And the question here is that if the business is no longer, then yeah, you absolutely want to get rid of the debt. So I like that formula of let's do 25%, of course, goes to taxes Maybe the other 50% of the overall goes to getting paying down that loan. And then as you guys, you and your husband are saving for your retirement in 10 or 15 years, then the answer is that it should go into something that is invested, Beth. And the okay. I guess the question would be, he probably has maxed out his 401k at work. So does, or is he self-employed? He's self-employed. Okay. Do you guys, do you know what kind of uh, retirement plan? Does he have some sort of retirement plan at, at the, at his work? They do not. Mm. So, okay. yeah, so we, and we have an account through uh, a big firm. And is that, is it what, what kind of retirement account is it? Is it a SEP? How many, how many people in the company? Is it just your husband or is it a lot of people? There's a few. It's a small company. Yeah. So I, I think that what, what, probably needs to happen here is that whatever, first of all, it sounds like you might need to set up a retirement plan at his work, which you can do inexpensively. And it might be some sort of safe harbor 401k plan where it doesn't cost him a ton, but it gives an opportunity to do a little bit of matching for the employees and that he can put up and and defer a, a lot of money. And I think that that's why you may want some sort of retirement plan, which is a four, a type of a small business owner 401k that allows you to do a 401k contribution and maybe even a profit sharing so you can shelter a ton of money from that bonus into a retirement plan. I think that's probably, sounds like that's what 
could be a really helpful step for you guys in okay. in a after you pay down some of that loan b be able to have some deferral on money and i don't know if this came last year and it might be too late to do it in a 401k but maybe for the upcoming year able to defer more of that income and then allows you to really invest it and i think that's to me beth it sounds like maybe the missing piece of the equation here is a is a plan at the small business level so that you can put that money in pre-tax. It lowers your overall taxable income, first of all, and then you can invest it. And I think that's the okay. key here because you guys have 10 or 15 years before you're going to retire. And, and mm-hmm. the, world, the world that we live in today, there are lots of good companies. Not, actually, there's not a lot. <laughs> there are a handful of good companies out there that can set up low-cost Retirement plans for your small business, and I, I know a couple of them uh, because I, I have I very often have this conversation, and the business owner says, "Well, where do we where do we go set that up?" There, there's some good people in the southeast that do that. So email me this week, Beth, and I can send you a couple names of folks that do that. And then maybe if you guys can get some sort of work plan set up, you can defer some of that money and be able to invest it as well. Uh, Beth from Lawrenceville, thank you for your call. Again, you can the emails actually come directly to me and the Money Matters team. So if you go to wesmoss.com, that's just W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. Those emails on the contact form, they do they do come to me. I do see them. And we we get back to folks within within 48 hours. And I'll be able to send you some recommendations in the 401k space to maybe get up and running here in 2021. Linda, what's going on? How can I help? Well, I have two questions. Uh, The first one is, if I don't need my required minimum distribution, should I take it monthly and put it in a CD when I get it, Um, or let it ride until December? And then the second part of that is, um, if I do take it monthly, uh, should I, I have elected not to have a federal income tax withheld. I also do a qualified charitable distribution, which helps. But, you know, because of last year was a great year uh, for my investments, uh, and we didn't have to take our RMD, I'm faced with a big amount this year. So I'm just not exactly sure, should I take it monthly? Should I let it ride and take it in December? Or what would be your opinion? So so good question. So first of all, Linda, what Linda's referring to is that last year, because of the CARES Act, there was the IRS basically suspended RMDs last year, right? So you basically, we had an RMD holiday which is required minimum distribution. Anybody that, and how old are you, Linda? I'll be 73 next month. All right. So the reason Linda's saying, hey, what do we do with RMDs this year is because last year there was really kind of the the CARES Act and, and new regulations within all the different plans because of COVID-19 essentially gave people a holiday or waived RMDs last year. So, so remember RMDs for anyone that is not familiar with this, very simply required minimum distributions from an IRA 
Now, you don't have to do this from a, if you have a Roth, it's one of the advantages of, of a Roth, but if you have a 401k or an IRA or a 403b, at some point, and, and the new rules are such that when you hit 72, you have to start doing an RMD. It used to be 70 and a half. But if you if you're 72, the I, I the, the government says, look, you got to pull a certain amount out of the require of your IRA in any given year and pay the taxes. That's it's all about pulling money out so that you pay the taxes. It's still your money, but you got to pay the taxes on it, pulling it out. Now, in your case, Linda, you're asking, should you pull it out monthly? Should you do it maybe in a lump sum at the end of the year? And then you had mentioned putting that money into a CD. What are your th- what were your thoughts about the CD part of this? Because this money's all invested, and you said it was it did well last year because it was in the market. The markets recovered a ton, and your IRA and you didn't have to pull any money out because of the the, the rules for just last year. And now you're left with an even bigger IRA balance, and of course a bigger required minimum distribution, which is, by the way, based on your age. It, it's usually around in the early years of RMDs. So for you, Linda, it's probably around four, let's call it around 4% is about how much you end up having to take out. So is that about what you were thinking? And, and what were your thoughts around when you do pull it out? Would you, what would you invest it in, I guess, is another question. Well, I have uh, choices. I, one would be a CD. I'm a little worried about our new uh, president and how the stock market's going to do this year. But that aside, I also could put it, uh, take it, I, I have another account that is not an IRA account with the same firm, and I could put the money there as well. So those are my choices but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure which way to go. And then what about, you had mentioned the taking a monthly or as a lump sum. Let me just start with that one. That to me is an easier one is that in the end, you, you, we've got to pay our taxes. So, but you don't have to do it earlier than you need to do it. So if you're really thinking about over time, even though, even though you don't even need the money, you're still your overall family legacy. You'd like it to be, if you had to choose, you'd like it to be larger than, 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 than smaller, obviously. So if you were, if you're a betting woman, then because markets do tend to go higher over time, if you give it a whole year, then you're, you're actually statistically better off to that. You're better to take your RMD again, if you don't need the spending money each month to wait till the very end of the year and take it as a lump sum. Because okay. you're, and- you're better off to do that way, number one. Number two, should you – now, a lot of folks will take it every month because they need they're, they're need to spend it anyway. You were saying, hey, you may not even do any sort of federal tax withholding, though. Is that – now? and what, tell me about that. Well, I do have the estimated taxes that I pay quarterly, but whenever I make a withdrawal from my IRA, the, they always ask you – uh, do you would you like federal withholding? And I always uh, elect not to. And I don't know if you know that's good or not. Well, if, it sounds um, like I should be doing that. I probably should ask my CPA. Uh, accountant, my CPA. She probably could tell me. But I do do estimated taxes. Um, four times a year. And maybe your CPA, and you're exactly right, your CPA will know the answer to this exact question, but it's probably that your CPA is saying, hey, Lin- Linda is 
her RMD is going to be around, let's say, $40,000 or whatever it is. And then she's baking that into your overall adjusted gross income and saying, okay, well, Linda, here's your quarterly taxes. And we're already assuming your RMDs. Now, so that's probably why you're not having to do a withholding from that from the IRA. But the, the, the other thought here is that you mentioned the Q, the QCD, which is the Qualified Charitable Distribution. So if you really, really don't need it, Another rule that I, I will tell you that some families I, I work with do like is using the QCD. And by the way, even though RMD age changed to 72, again, I think the IRS just likes to make all these rules confusing. The QCD age stayed at 70 and a half, by the way. Now, again, you're almost 73, so it doesn't matter for you. But you can also make a contribution to a charity that can also that will a not be taxable to you and fulfill your RMD at the same time. So so that is another you'd mention that, Linda. Because I I already do that. It's it's uh it's the way I give to my church. Mm-hmm. It, and and it you know, it helps me tax wise. It takes off uh the amount uh that I'll be taxed on. So I already do that. I could now, you increase do it, for the, it. Do you do it for the entire amount or just for a, a, a portion of it? I use a, a portion of it. All right. Well, again, that part of it that you're that's going to a charity is under the QCD part of this qualified charitable distribution, and it's a way to give money away uh, from the IRA. It also helps you fulfill, at least partially, in your case, your required minimum distribution. And again, I my thought is that. Gifting to any sort of charity, whether it's a church or another 501c3, is that later in the year gives the money more time to grow, which is good for everybody, right? So that would be my my next thought if you're going to do it that way. And then maybe the last piece of the equation here is that what are you doing on the investment side? Now, the... This is always a crystal ball question, right? Is it better in a CD or is it better invested? If this is my take on this, Linda, whether whether you, we all feel, and I've been using this analogy after the election, it's kind of like the election and then the Georgia Senate, and we've been hanging in the state of Georgia. You've been election overload. We the entire state, all ten million Georgians, have had the the most contentious. Uh, most voted on in election of all time on the presidency. And then it didn't end there, right? It, it lingered and lingered and lingered until we had the results in Georgia. And then it, that didn't stop there. It, Anxiety. It, right? And it kept going. And then we had another big Senate election, which was in the, the, we were the eye of the nation. So we're in election overload. We're political overload. And of course, the anxiety is as high as it's ever been. I think it's starting to come down now that we have at least some certainty, whether you like the certainty or not. It's kind of like, you know, after the morning, after the the seventh game of the World Series, you know, you wake up and if your team won, you feel this glow like this is great. My team won. And if your team lost, Linda, you just don't feel great. Right. You're like, oh, this just didn't work out the way I thought this is. So in your case, your team maybe didn't win from what you're telling me. And yep. you are it, it certainly colors how you might think about the world and investing. And, and even though you've heard me say a thousand times over and over again, I'll say it a thousand and one, the political environment does not put a dagger in the stock market. It just doesn't. It, it might seem like it will. It might seem like, hey, th- these policies are going to make it so the economy isn't good. We can't make money in the stock market anymore. Historically, 
It's that is not the case. Any combination in Washington, Republican, Democrat, Democrat, Republican, half, it all, it all, what matters, companies wake up every day and they say, how are we going to grow the business in the new, with the new set of cards we're dealt and big publicly traded companies run by typically very smart people figure out a way to continue to grow and make money. And by the way, that's what we invest in. So it is, it is in, in spite of, or regardless of well, who's in Washington, companies still figure out a way to make money over time. And that's what you're investing in. So I would just, I'm just reminding you, I know that, again, a, quarter, a third of all investing is how you're feeling and the emotion of where you think we're headed uh, and the balance of risky assets and safe assets. But I would, I would just give you this reminder that over time, give it another, let's call it three years, five years, 10 years. Again, even though you're 73, you're still investing for the next 20 years. Where is money going to grow the best? In a CD over here or invested in companies that should continue to grow regardless of who's in Washington? And I'll let you make that call, Linda. But And by the way, thank you for your call today. Have a wonderful rest of your day, Linda. Thank you so much. The what, what Linda's facing here is what we all face every day as investors. It's kind of like, well, she's forced to make an investment decision. You have to take money out of an IRA, in her case, because it's a required minimum distribution. And what that does is it forces you to, to rethink, well, if I'm having to pull $40,000 out, do I want to invest it or not? Right, is, which is the same question you ask yourself every single day as an investor. Do I leave my money invested today or not? Do I move it somewhere else? Do I go from technology to industrial companies or to healthcare? Do I leave it diversified? Do I go stocks? Do I go, do bonds? There's always this question of where to be invested. Technically, every single day you make that decision because leaving money invested somewhere is also a decision. And for someone as I, my, my guess would be, and again, this is just a guess for what it's worth here on a Sunday morning is that Linda doesn't even, for somebody who doesn't need an RMD, that means they have enough income from all of their other sources. And maybe you're somebody with a pension and social security or two pensions and a social security and plenty of dividends from another account. And you're, you need five grand a month and you've got eight grand a month rolling in. You don't need any more. So the way I look at that personally, and you can look at it both ways, you can say, well, I don't want to deal with the stock market and just leave the money invested in the CD and you still have plenty of money. Or the way I would look at this, I'd say, I can have this money invested in stocks for the next 10 and 20 years because it gives me my best shot of the overall family pie growing when I'm in my 80s and 90s. And that to me, I would I would actually lean more towards staying invested, particularly for someone like Linda, who doesn't necessarily need the money. Hey y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. 
This is provided as a resource for informational purposes and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. The mention of any company is provided to you for informational purposes and as an example only and is not to be considered investment advice or recommendation or an endorsement of any particular company. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. There is no guarantee offered that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. The information provided is strictly an opinion and for informational purposes only, and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. There are many aspects and criteria that must be examined and considered before investing. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. Investment decisions should not be made solely based on information contained herein.